0: Welcome to another edition of Jumping Around, a steeplechase podcast from Horseracing.com. I'm Joe Clancy, and this is part two of our interview with Hall of Fame trainer Jonathan Shepard. We sat down in February to talk about his career, and if you haven't heard part one, you really should start there. When we left off, the discussion had just started to turn to Flatterer, arguably the best American steeplechaser in history with four consecutive Eclipse awards in the 1980s. Lonesome Glory won five in the 90s, but they would have been difficult to separate and comparing eras is never easy. Flatterer won championships in his first four seasons as a Steeplechaser, 1983, 84, 85, and 86. In all four, he won the Colonial Cup, then the year's championship race in November at Camden, South Carolina. Five times he carried 170 pounds or more in handicaps, winning three, including the 1986 National Hunt Cup carrying a record 176 pounds. What's more, he traveled to France and finished second in the three-mile French Champion Hurdle in 1986, and next year went to the famed Cheltenham Festival and finished second in the two-mile English Champion Hurdle to the great See You Then. Flatterer retired after a tendon injury in 1987, joined the Hall of Fame in 1994, and was the oldest Eclipse Award winner and Hall of Famer when he died in 2014 at age 35. Bred by Shepard and Bill Pape, Flatterer was by Mo Bay, a horse Shepherd trained for Augustin Stable, and out of a mare named Horizontal, Shepard purchased her cheap. Some
1: bloodstock agent contacted me and said he'd been given a commission to buy eight or ten fillies to take to India or someplace as broodmare prospects. They had to be winners, but they couldn't be over five or $6,000 or something like that. So I scouted around, rounded up six or seven horses, and he said, oh, unfortunately, that guy backed out of the steel. In the meantime, I'd taken a bit of a liking to this one. King Netherberry had her at Delaware. Horizontal, her name was. By Nade, who was the son of Nasrullah. And I knew he was a good jumping line. And I kind of liked her. She was sort of workman-like, a little plain. But so I thought, I think I'll, I'll just buy her myself. Which I did. I think it was 3500 And then Pape came in with me. And we ran her at Garden Estate. a normally of a three for 5000 or something. damn, she didn't win. A little Hungarian jockey wrote. Her. I can't think of his name. And we might have run on her once more. And then we brought her.
0: Horizontal's first three foals, two by Northern Fling and one by Rash Prince, didn't do much. Her fourth became a legend.
1: We just better a horses I...
0: Horses you trained. He yeah. gave me a, a breeding right when they retired in
1: each of those horses, so we got a free season. And yeah. <laughs> there wasn't any great science involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be all luck, though. Come on. <laughs> he was sort of a hard-knocking flat horse. He ran... I'm sort of surprised looking back on it, see how many times he actually ran. He, ran. he ran 12 times, and he's a three-year-old on the flat.
0: Yeah, he was busy as a three-year-old. Kind of paid his way. I don't think he ran at two. No, he ran at three. He won, looks like he won four times at three. Did he, yes. Yeah. I mean, there
1: were 25,000, 35,000 Yeah. which was not, you know, real cheap at the, at that, in those days. Then we decided to try him over jumps, and actually he wasn't a particularly good jumper. He was a little bit kind of U-necked, and he was a little bit awkward. Kind of jump with his head high and his front legs hanging down, but uh, I would say if you're going to give credit to his success, you probably should give a lot of it to John Frankham, because he rode him twice, when he first started running as a four-year-old. He rode him at Belmont, and he—he uh, he actually won the Triple Crown. No, they had a race. No, at, I think
0: you're right because he, he won, at he won at the Fox Grand National, the Temple Guathmee, and the Colonial Cup, which would have okay. That been was the Guathmee. Grand National was at Foxfield.
1: Yeah. And Cushman rode him. Then when we ran back at Belmont. Christian had been winning all his races on Thrice Worthy, was it? Or uh, Twas Ever Thus. Was that a horse too, maybe? Oh, yes, know. Twas Ever yeah. Thus, maybe. He picked out his other horse, anyway.
0: And this is all Flatterer's maiden year. He broke his maiden yes. in the spring of that yes. year, and by the end he was champion and had won. And Harris and Pate got together and they decided to ask Frankum to come over. I, I,
1: I wouldn't have had quite <laughs> high aim, you know. The expectations, yes. yeah. But he rode him and he won. Of course, he was the most brilliant man over a fence that ever lived, probably. Frankham. Yes, yeah. And then we asked him if he'd like to come back for the Colonial Cup, and he said he would. We went to Esposito's for a drink after the race. He said, I'll tell you what, if you're running back, would you mind putting a neck strap on him? Because he was sort of high-headed. I have a picture of him jumping the last fence with his head straight over there like that. A lesser rider would not have done so well with him, I don't think. Not to take away from Cushman, who was a very good jockey, but not so much a horseman. So damn if he didn't. I mean, the Colonial Cup was over the bigger fences. Yeah. And he made, gave him a brilliant ride, and he won wanted... it. He had a flight back that night. He jumped off the horse and ran straight to the rental car or whatever. Oh, wow.
0: And nobody plans a four-year-old campaign like that with a hurdle horse. I mean, did it just sort of he he kept answering questions? Well, at that time, people seemed to have a bit of prejudice against
1: four-year-olds not being quite up to the big races, but they always get a pretty good break in the weights. And actually, it was a period of time when four-year-olds had a pretty good record in the colonial Cup. They got something like twelve pounds, and by that time, it's the fall, and they're all going to be carrying the level same weight in two months' time. Yeah, they gave him a bit of an advantage, really.
0: Yeah, and especially the way it all turned out, he was he was that good of a horse. Oh yes, yeah, you know. What did he show as a four-year-old? I mean, did he show, I mean, you, you said he wasn't the best jumper, but was it a brilliant acceleration? Was it a brilliant amount of stamina? Was it the right mix of everything?
1: Yeah, I don't think you could pick it. I think it was a great, well, obviously it was a great weight carry, but I think that he just had a very economical way of moving, I guess. He could carry a high weight for a long distance with, without expending too much extra energy. As I say, we we're blessed by having extremely good riders on him. Cushman and Frank, and then when he went to France, we had he Rode him in the French race. And Fishback rode
0: Fishback rode him, yeah. No, I mean, the two seconds overseas in the French, basically the French champion hurdle and the English champion hurdle were yeah. as good a race as bike. And one was two miles, the other was three and a quarter. Yeah. When did you decide to do that? So France came first. I mean, that was 86.
1: Yeah, it seems odd that that came first, but I guess it did, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, June of 86. I think Pape and Harris.
1: Harris, you know, they, he has
0: rather grandiose ideas. They kind of picked out and the race. Yeah, George, George Harris and Mr. Pape would have yes. been trying to hatched plans like that with this horse yeah and he had set in 86 he yeah he had won carrying 176 pounds at radnor in may and yeah obviously you're not going to take a horse like that to saratoga because he's going to have to carry that again yes so then the idea of going to france did you know anything about the french racing when you decided to take him over there well i'd worked in a stable there
1: for a couple of months once so i i you know i've been to the races i kind of knew the setup a little bit
0: Flatterer took on some of the world's best in the $160,000 race at Autoy. The field included English, Irish, and French stars Dawn Run, Gacko, Les Ressois, Gay Brief, Melanois, and pointe Vernal. Dawn Run won the French, Irish, and English champion hurdles in 1984 and made history with the Cheltenham Gold Cup just a few months before the French race in 1986. At Autoy, it all came crashing down as she fell and was fatally injured. Flatterer and the others soldiered on, however, with Les Ressois winning by five lengths over the game, but tired American champion. I've talked to you before about Flatterer after that race. You had said that that might have been as, as tired as the horse was oh, after the race. Yes. Yeah. yes. Well,
1: it was extremely hot and humid, and they put us in the worst stall in a horrible barn. It was like 95 degrees and 100 percent humidity, apparently. The horse didn't do well over there really very well at all. And the ground was very soft. All the other French shockers, when they came in to stretch the last time, they went straight to the outside rail. The jumps were down on the inside, except for Dunworthy, because I guess he didn't know. I guess all the water drained down towards the inside, and he stayed down on the inside. I mean, I'm not blaming it all on him, but he was in extremely heavy ground. He really struggled, and he tried it, absolutely tried it hard, and he pretty much collapsed after the race when he was having his bath and stuff. Graham Merchant was over there. He actually had to hold him up while Graham was going his bath.
0: Yeah, which makes the performance that much yes. more admirable, really. And their fences were fairly significant. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been very much take out of his element, out of any American horse's element, to go run in that race. It seems yes. like, yeah. It just goes to show what an amazing animal I was. Yeah, so the French race was 86. So then the following spring is 87. Well, you came, you come home and win the Colonial Cup that fall and are champion again for the fourth time in America. And then you go to England for the champion hurdle at Cheltenham. And, yeah, getting him ready from Pennsylvania... Plus a little bit, of Cam- little bit of Camden, I guess? Yeah, he was in
1: Camden. Okay. He was supposed to fly out of New York. And I'm thinking to myself, all his training has been on absolutely flat, fast, sandy ground. and He's going to up and downhill in the mud. I think I'll give him, a, when I ship him up, I ship him a couple of days early to the farm and give him a nice work out on what we call West Hill. So that was my plan for his final work. And then go to the airport. Well, guess what? That morning the ground was frozen tight as a tick. What the hell am I going to do now? Well, I had four or five horses stable up at Garden State. I said, we'll stop in at Garden State on the way up to the airport and give him a breeze on the dirt. Not ideal, but it's better than nothing. He's got to work somewhere. So we did. I worked him a mile. Wow. And then uh, called him out and sent him up to the airport. And I kind of blame myself a little bit, as I should have had more confidence in my own training. I'm thinking, and I walked a course, you know, that morning, and you, when you come to the last fence, you look up to the finish, and that's a damn steep hill. And it kind of went through my mind, He hadn't been run from since last November. And he had a pretty screwed up training, having to work at Garden State on the way over yeah. And I could just visualize him being head and head to the lead jump in the last and finishing fifth or something. So I said, Jerry, you know, they always gun it as soon as you start down the hill and they jump that one across the top and start to come down. You might just want to wait another fence before you really set him down. Otherwise, he could get tired on us. So he said, fine, he rode him perfectly, exactly the way I suggested. They kind of got the first run on him. He was closing again, you know, to finish. I think if he'd have kicked on when needed, he possibly could have won it. Wow.
0: Yeah, the performance still, in my mind, is as good as any American steeplechaser ever to go over there and run in that race, run the Champion Hurdle at Cheltenham, finish second to see you. Then it was a multiple winner off, basically no off not having run since November, and and to do it that way, yeah, anybody can. You could you could nitpick it and try to find now because it is you can call it up and watch it on YouTube, and he's right there, you know, he's right there, and then they sort of get away from it a little bit, and then he's working his way back into it yes. again. Jerry
1: always thought he met the last just to kind of pop it. He could have really gone for a huge one and probably landed in the middle of it. But he just let him chip in. And so he just landed a bit, like standing still and had to pick up again. If he'd have met it just for to have flown it and landed in full stride, he'd possibly man have caught him in. A minute, no? What a horse, though. i never forget. I, walk off the, I we walked out to where the horses come in off the course walk up this little path, and as we start to enter it, this huge roar goes up. I said, we'll see you then. I said, well, he's already in there. It was for us. Wow. It was really, yeah. but a lump in your throat.
0: It was amazing. Uh, yeah, just an example of places horses will take you. I mean, horses, yes. a horse like that, once in a lifetime or kind of thing. Wow. Jonathan just pulled a framed series of three photos of Champion Hurdle Day at Cheltenham, of flatter, and the crowd. I can't get over the massive crowd of people. And then, yeah, you can tell um, as Fishback kind of salutes the crowd coming back in, which, yeah, he obviously got a hand, which is cool. You know, and a, a very, very young-looking Grand Motion on the shank. Uh, <laughs> and to think yeah I mean a horse uh, bred in Pennsylvania raced at Keystone which is now Parks on the flat to then go over there and run in that kind of race fantastic and he I, I had the cool fortune of going to see him in retirement flatterer like the, you could tell the class he had still which was fun I mean I, I went over and saw him at PAPES he was, yeah at PAPES <laughs> when he was 30 whatever 32 I think something like that and just a classy neat horse to be around and that's it's sure what it seemed like anyway I don't know whether it had any effect or not, but, you know, he did a little <laughs> dressage thing for three
1: two or three years. And I always thought that might have helped him. Really conditions the muscle and
0: back and whole structure a little bit, because he certainly lived longer than most. Yeah yeah he lived to 34 which is oh yes he was the oldest living eclipse award winner at that yes. at the time you know which is pretty neat it was like going to see a and he didn't horse in a i mean he, he took care of him pay but he was just out in the
1: field in a yeah. turnout yet.
0: yeah no he was eating the day i was there he's eating the food out of the you know the the feed tubs on the ground with some carrots and yes. stuff in it and he was happy as could be you know and mm. to me that's why everybody's in the game is to get close to horses like that i mean and you know f- to, to see him appreciated at in England and America, you know, everywhere he went, and even in retirement, was was really special. We're going to shift gears slightly to uh, some flat horses. You had, you managed to have Stormcat here almost at the same time as Flatterer. Yes. I, I'll assume they didn't do that much work together or maybe they did. They never breeze together now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but how did that come to be? How did you get get connected with Overbrook Farm and, and get sent a horse like that as a two year old? This
1: guy, Bob Copeland, Dr. Copeland, who was a veterinary, did their veterinary work and became sort of an advisor to Mr. Young, consultant or something, I guess, called me one day. I didn't know him very well but I knew him slightly. And he said, we got this horse that we want trying to send to England, but he's positive for EVA, and they won't take him. And we hope his title will come low enough so that he will be allowed to go in. So would you be interested in taking him in the meantime? Will it possibly keep him? You know, it depends, but he is supposed to go to Ian Balling. And he was over it. The guy had a show stable up here. It was just being broken over by, you remember that farm that Papes had for a while? Wasn't well, it close to Denny? He was raised at Denny Meeting. I can't think of the guy's name. He was quite well known. In the Sierra, and he had a show stable there, up in Gumtree somewhere. And he was breaking the horse. I went over and looked at him. He was just being, like, jogged around a paddock. And I wasn't sure. I'd never heard of Mr. Young. And almost was the first horse he'd had. It was the first horse he had to race in this country. He'd had a few others, but he was sending them to Europe. His daughter was over there. And I guess she lived in Paris or something. He like to see them run there or something. He'd only had a few runners. And Kenny Winchell, I swear the horse was. But I remembered his mother, Tolingua. I'd seen a photograph of him on the front of the Blood Horse. She was championed two-year-old Philly one year by Secretary Wayne Lucas trainer. It was the first big horse he had, I think, when he switched to Thoroughbreds. And I said to myself, that is the epitome of what a racing machine should look like. A speed horse, primarily. Her hip and her long hind leg, and sort of built almost like a greyhound and a pretty head. Powerful hind end. And I thought, boy, I sure wouldn't mind training something out of her. So I agreed to do it, and Luckily for me, they kept taking these tests. They'd take blood samples and send them back to Copeland. And uh, fortunately, he stayed. He wasn't sick. But I, actually, I wasn't quite sure what what this meant. Could it affect other horses? Or I spoke to several different vets, and I got different answers from them. But eventually, I thought, I think it sounds like a minimal risk. I thought, but you know how these people are in Camden. I mean, if I'm going to do it, I put him right in between Feligno and Flatter, my two best horses at the time. But nobody ever said anything, and of course he never got sick. And he was kind of... People didn't really used to like to ride him that much because he was pretty feisty, and he just put his head down and buck, and he had a short, thick little neck. He wasn't very big. And, you know, most of had Jonathan Smart and people riding for me, long-legged jumping riders. So Kathy ended up getting on me most of the time. She was small and ridden flat races. I remember we were riding out one morning. I was still galloping on some other horse in the same set that he was in, and I said, who do you think's the best out of these two-year-olds? We had a four or five of them down there. And he picked one, and none of them said him. And I said, well, I... I think I know who's the best. I think it's that little one that Kathy's on. And at that time, you paid for the season, not by a daily rate. And after the people shipped out from the flat track, you were allowed to go down there for no extra cost because the stores were suddenly empty anyway. And we used to take some of the flat horses down there to just two or three weeks before we left to come north. And so that year, we took him and a few others. As a matter of fact, one was horse ended up being a top steeplechase horse. So we went down to the flat track, and we always just kind of the two-year-olds keep them in hand, and I said... Just for a bit of fun, this last time before we shipped north, once you come to the eighth I why don't you just drop at the heads and holler out and see what happens? <laughs> he, he was like five in front in the blink of an eye. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of knew, we, well, we just thought we had something pretty quick.
0: Right. And then he came here and would have trained, so he didn't run off of cam, out of camp then, he would have no, come he up here? No, came to the farm and then Delaware. Then Delaware Park, okay. And actually,
1: I was a bit worried about one of his knees. Really, that soundness was a bit offset. Particularly, I think it was the right front, and Copeland came up to look at him one day, and I... Course he didn't know it was really any good he said well he's been fine he's just a bit of, of uh wear and tear or something so uh we went on with him and he, he he did warm up a little gimpy sometimes and after he ran in the breeder's cup they took a moment, operated on him
0: took chips out of his knee i guess and he never really did much after that
1: yeah was he yeah,
0: wasn't quite never as brilliant as he was at two but would he have i mean obviously was at dollar park but would he have trained in fields and everything we like, like... Out in 100 acre field wow okay
1: Matter of fact they came and watched him one day Mr. Young, and they all flew up on his private plane, Copeland and Young, and another guy who was sort of the farm manager, and they might have even brought, they had another guy, they had about five people in what they call a little committee. Money man, one of them was a money man, I was a pedigree expert, one was a vet, one was a farm manager, and then Mr. Young. Did
0: they pile in the farm truck and drive out to the 100-acre field, or how'd you do that? Yeah. It looked nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, just like you did. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, was talking to Wayne Lucas up in Saratoga a few years ago, and he said, Did he used to have those committee meetings when you <laughs> I said, As a matter of fact, we did, yes, I had a couple of them. He said, Well, yeah, they this was when Tabasco Cat, after he'd run in the Belmont, and they didn't want him to run the horse because they said he couldn't get a mile and a half. So he said they had a committee meeting and they all voted against it except me and Mr. Young. We were outvoted. Mr. Young said, We're going to the Belmont. He said, I know we all vote, but he said my votes are all stronger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He had more votes.
0: <laughs> wow. So, I mean, nobody expects or thinks the, the of the stud career that he went on to. But he leaves here and was the uh, the idea of you having a Stein season and like was that did he leave here with that?
1: Yeah, I got to give Kathy a lot of credit for that.
0: Okay. She and Mister Young were quite. You know, she
1: used to kind of flirt with him a little bit. And, you know these older guys are with a pretty little blonde. <laughs> he said, I'd, well, "I'm going to sell that horse." She said. Mr. Young, you can't sell that horse. He's going to be a top sire. Oh, you're full of it. No, he is. Well, he said, I don't even have a stalling barn. He said, well, you got, she said, you got plenty of money. You build one.
0: Wow. There it is. Kathy Shepard predicted yeah, it.
1: Yeah, he said, by the way, make sure you give Jonathan a breeding right. As a matter of fact, I'd kind of like one too. <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, I'll give Jonathan one. He can give you part of his if you want.
0: Wow. And I know from talking to you before, your your breeding program didn't actually use Stormcat very often, maybe once or twice, right? No, I think we had maybe the first year or something right. that was about right. it when I,
1: we realized how good it was going to be. And
0: they started fees bar, just up my males weren't that quality, so we just started selling it. Yeah, the impact, another one was just the impact he that horse ended up having on the game from yeah. relatively mild beginnings, basically, yeah. I've always been, well, at that time I was quite a student of breeding. And I always thought it was
1: pretty cool. Horatio Lauro, he was known as the trainer, Prince Quillon, and uh, Northern Dance, are the two greatest stallions that lived at that time. And I thought that would be pretty damn neat to be around horses like that that made a mark on the industry, sure enough, a few yeah. years later.
0: From Shepherd's Farm, Delaware Park, and some time in Camden, South Carolina, Stormcat came within a nose, Tasso caught him in the final yards of the Breeders' Cup juvenile, of being champion two year old of 1985. He missed the Triple Crown races of 1986, though he did win an allowance race in October and was retired to stud, where he changed the game. Stormcat stood for as much as $500,000 and sired 108 graded stakes winners and eight champions. The stars included Giants Causeway, Tabasco Cat, Cat Thief, Forestry, November Snow, Finder's Fee, and Storm Flag Flying. He's one, but there's plenty of crossover horses that ran in your career that became or were very good flat horses, too. And to somebody who doesn't know, do they train? Do you train them much differently? So, say a a grade one flat horse versus a grade one jumper, do they train the same? Basically, pretty much, I'd say yes. Keep them fit and healthy and happy. (laughs) Sounds
1: easy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is. You just have to have the right horse. (laughs) That's the key
0: ingredient. Key ingredient. And the stars, people know. I mean, and the, some of the again, we've talked about several of the steeplechasers, but some of the flat horses over the years. I mean, are there ones that jump out to you like Flathead does on the over jumps, and Cafe Prince does? I mean, I can name them, but for, from your side, are there some of the some of the better flat horses you train that, that not necessarily Stormcat, but some others that came along?
1: Well, back in the early days, I mean, Mo Bay, Ripon, just really tough, hard knocking. You know, whenever there was a stake down in Bowie or Laurel or Delaware or something, that always show up and be right there they didn't necessarily win all the time but they compiled pretty good records I really had a lot of respect for them Mo Bay particularly probably and Ripon Mm. two really nice horses and came from reasonably humble backgrounds we actually bought both of them we bought Ripon from Raymond Guest and we bought Mo Bay from Mrs Lunger
0: yeah, and it seemed like horses, I remember them, too. It's there now, but it doesn't seem like it's quite as deep. But there was such a mid-Atlantic, you mentioned buoy, but there was this mid-Atlantic stakes program that was almost year-round for those horses to run. Yes, in, you know.
1: yes. I mean, to have a Saturday afternoon horse. And, yeah. I mean, that was our circuit sort of thing at that time. And apart from Saratoga, we didn't normally venture to New York. And it was it was pretty cool. We had some great times.
0: In addition to his eight steeplechase champions, Shepard trained flat champions forever together and informed decision. The former won the Turf Female Crown of 2008, while her stablemate collected the Female Sprinter Championship the next season.
1: Those are two obvious ones. I mean, just as far as personal attachment, Forever Together will always be my all-time favorite. I really? Think Why? She was just so kind of feminine, such a beautiful eye and face, and so sweet and so talented and just very
0: ladylike. Tough as could be in a race, though, man. I mean, yeah. She was a. You'd see her dig in, and it was, it, you know, she was gonna give it all. That's for sure.
1: Informed decisions. She was almost more like a colt, big, muscular. You know, nothing bothered. She'd run through a brick wall if you hadn't had for me. But
0: yeah, she was she, a very talented horse. Nobody's going to file Jonathan Shepard under the heading of trainer of top sprinters, but Informed Decisions' championships campaign was something special. She won six of seven, with victories in the Madison at Keeneland, Distaff at Churchill Downs, Chicago Handicap at Arlington. Presque Downs Masters, Thurbeg Club of America, and Breeders' Cup Philly Mare Sprint.
1: We ran, uh, what's his name, was it Ventura? It was a really good Philly that... Bobby Frankel. Bobby
0: Frankel, yeah, Ventura. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah, yeah. We
1: beat her at Keeneland, and he jumped all over his jock for moving too soon, hitting the front too soon. And then we beat her again... We just got Again, just special horses, right? I, mean, I mean, to be around. I mean, she had been, I think she was a champion the year before. Was a, she was a tough
0: fella to run against. Who's the first horse you think of when you think of um, an overachiever or something like that in the barn? I don't know. I mean, I I almost look on them as, all, all as overachievers
1: because I just try to, like I say, keep them healthy and happy. And when they win, I mean, the better quality races, it really makes you respect the animal and how... Hard they try, but you know. Also, obviously, more gifted. Some yeah. of those horses are naturally faster than others. Oh, sure. You look at them and you, why? Why is informed decision faster than the other seventy-five horses in my barn? I don't know. A stride did not appear to be longer, but.
0: Yeah, and and um, I mean, I've seen it in action a little bit. The keeping them happy and healthy, a, a little bit of that is turn out, and maybe uh, rough's the wrong word, but it's just where they get to be horses a little more often probably. I think that, and I'm not saying this in a boastful way, but I I
1: obviously have some sort of a knack for for training horses, I don't know why. (laughs) I think because I grew up with a horsey background and rode ponies and I've been around them and watching them and working with them and stuff you know since I can I was six years old I think that probably helps I'm patient and luckily I've been associated with some patient owners and I, I think that combined with having the farm has helped me keep horses staying at a higher level for a longer period of time than most horses are just able to track and running you know all year long until they can't run anymore we give our horses breaks at different times of the year and and having a farmer, they can be turned out and living a little closer to nature. And they can train out in the fields and go left handed and right handed and figures of eights and circles this way and that way and through the woods. And I think it all helps to make a, a happier horse that maintains a, its top level for a longer period of time.
0: Yeah. No, and physical is part of it, but mental is a big part of it too, isn't it? I mean, a horse that stays. I think that very way. much so, yes.
1: Yes. I mean, I, I think when, you know, when horses start to lose their form, flat horses that are trained at the track all the time, why? Is it because they're sore or they just burned out kind of thing. I think that has a lot to do with it. You can go to the well once too many
0: times. Yeah. No, and that's where the biz- the business part comes sometimes gets in the way, but yeah. Yeah, but you, you know, you've got to I'm trying to keep my owners happy and that's what most trainers I guess are,
1: are trying to do. So you kinda your hands are somewhat tight and I've been lucky to have owners that well, it's like any sort of relationship, I think you find you know, I've had owners that didn't like me or how I trained and they didn't stay very long. But the ones that do, you know, you get on well with and they sort of allow you to do what you want to do.
0: Yeah. And I've seen it enough times to, it makes me laugh still. But the, the pack of horses that are in the big field in the middle of the track look like they're having the time of their lives whenever I'm, <laughs> whenever I'm here. <laughs> I think we pulled 21 of them out of there this morning when wow. we signed to bring them in. <laughs> Twenty one. That's great. Yeah, twenty yeah, there aren't many twenty one there aren't twenty one horses at the flat track who get to do that, that's for no. sure. And it looks like a big recess or something at the schoolyard or whatever. Yeah. I mean I
1: there's a balance between I mean, thank God for Stormcat, but I, I don't like to I wouldn't like to be thought of as a trainer that couldn't train a two year old. I wouldn't right. like to think that I had some <laughs> tremendous precocious two year old champion, you know, that never achieve what he could have done because of the way I train. I try to be sort of equal opportunity. I don't know whether it always works out that way or not. But
0: The ones that want to run it too, we usually give them a run or two. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're, I'm not doing the right math, but 40-some 40, 40 years into a training career, how long are you going to keep doing this? I hate to say it's 50-some 50 50-some 50 years. <laughs> I started in 1966. See, there it is, yes, 50-some years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm not planning on quitting just yet. I don't have any plans to quit. I mean, I could see... Perhaps cutting back a little bit, but as long as you've got some good people working with you. You know, I might be the captain steering the ship, but he still had to have a good crew, didn't you? Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, just like everything evolves. I mean, you, you, you worked flatterer yourself in the 80s. You're not doing that anymore. You know, no. everything changes. Yeah. I don't really know what else I'd be doing. I, I mean, I I would say I've probably uh,
1: backed off a little bit as far as driving up and down the turnpike every day. And, you know, from Garden State to Philadelphia Park to Meadowlands and all that stuff, a little more leisurely.
0: It's only every three or four days now. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> and having this place in Florida, a nice house down there where my Kathy stays, and sort of a little bit of a busman. So I've only got five
0: horses down there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually probably a nice way to do it. Yes, know, for exactly. The
1: yeah. It's sort of semi retired without being all the way retired.
0: Yeah. So look, at, so look ahead a little bit to this year. Uh, do we have some? You mentioned a couple. The, you had a winner at Gulfstream. I mean, are there some horses people should look at that maybe we don't know? Who's coming back? I think flat wise. I'm not superstitious about mentioning names, but we have a couple of young
1: ones that I think are a little above average, but nothing has actually proven it so far. Jumpers, we seem to have, when I sent my stall list in, or whatever it's called, horse and training list, seem to be a fairly high number. A lot of maidens, of uh, course, a lot of homebreds. You know, things look fairly positive, I think. It's been a few years since you won a training championship. Can you give those guys a yeah, run, no, Fisher and expect- Hendricks? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't expect that. As it said in one of those articles, maybe you read it, I'm not sure. Fisher's catching me up because he's making a million dollars a year, but I'm still making $500,000. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's going to take him a while. Yes. Yeah. As <laughs> yeah. so long as I can keep doing that, I'm not going to be complaining.
0: What would, the, uh, what would those guys at the stockbrokers think of this training career? I know
1: my uncle would be proud of me he actually mentions in that he wrote that book he said something about how i came over here and became a successful trainer i think he's quite pleased to be he knew that i was not going to have a to i was doing that
0: you would not have been a champion stockbroker <laughs> <No. laughs>
1: i might have been a little had a little bigger bank account but i wouldn't have had as much fun no definitely not I mean, my mother said well stay on a stock exchange you're going own your own horses I, said, I don't really want to own them so i want to train them i like being in the barn with them and riding yeah, them
0: right yeah and then and, and again i've heard you say it before it's it all comes back to the horse, doesn't it? In a relationship to the horse. Absolutely. Yeah. You
1: know, horses are very willing and willing to please and kind and for the most part. You treat them right. I mean, I'd have to go down walk, just walk around the barn and they stick their heads out. They want to be petted, you know. Yeah. Very lucky to be able to make it a living and doing something that I'd be doing as a hobby if I wasn't. Right. Yeah.
0: No, and a lot of people would like to do it as a hobby. So yeah.
1: yeah. Yes. No, that's great. But just owning a bunch of horses and getting in your mercedes and going to watch them run on a saturday afternoon never getting close to them wouldn't do that much for me no and i enjoy the breeding you know i've always been interested in breeding and as you just mentioned we've actually had quite a bit of luck on a pretty low budget i mean i know pape being a very loyal partner for all these years and whatnot and run his name but listed as co-breeders but basically i'm the one decides who to breed them to and how they're going to be when they're going to be weaned and when they're going to be broken and how they're going to be trained and all the rest of it
0: yeah oh yeah and to see them kind of come from that and even now with some of the horses of the Moorheads and things like that to see them as foals and work their way up and then they're in the training barn and then there's a the racetrack yes. and, you know, it's all a process. I mean, it's been a,
1: a lucky break for me that the Moorheads getting involved is when Papes and Strawbridge decide to go a different direction. Not that they're going to be in it on a huge scale, I don't think, but nevertheless he's interested in sort of the higher end a little bit. Matter of fact, he just bought a uh, reasonably expensive horse from Ireland to come over here.
0: Oh, good. Uh, rod. To run over jumps? Yeah. Oh, great. Fantastic. See? It keeps going.
1: He ran, a four-year-old, he ran one point to point and blew the field away.
0: Okay. All right, well, don't be superstitious. Who's that one? Come on, we're going to have to get, we're gonna have to get one, <laughs> one name out of you. I don't even know his name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
0: There you go. we got to keep an eye out on your 4 year old His name is
1: Kando Camp or something weird like that.
0: <laughs> not that it's over, but uh, what are you most proud of in the training career?
1: Well, I, it's a bit trite, but I know, I think consistently at a reasonably high level over a long period of time shows it's not just sort of a one trip pony or a float thing just because I happen to get lucky for a couple of years. I think 47 years winning race in Saratoga, I'm kind of proud of. Yeah. And I think I do take quite a bit of pride in my breeding programme the fact that, you know, we've had eight Eclipse Awards, or the one, seven of the home bread bred. bred. It's fun to be able to race your own, and I need the outside horses that I wouldn't be able to afford to keep my And then at one time, I sort of had a pipe dream when I was very young, just be a private trainer for just my own horses, but, you know, you had to be a billionaire to That's do that. That's not a very good business model, no. No, But I also, I think you'd miss out on a lot, because it's fun to have an owner there when you win a race, or, you know, if they, when they enjoy it, and not necessarily even to win. I mean, say a guy like Kevin Galbraith, who's new in the game, and well, he's had a f- flat horse or two over the years, but... Now he's gotten a little bit bigger, but he's not a big owner, and he never run a horse over jumps until last year, and just he and his wife came down to Charleston and i think they had a third or something, and you know they had a lovely day out and really enjoyed it, stayed overnight and did a bit of sightseeing in the town and enjoyed the races and you know it's uh it's fun,
0: yeah, yeah, again, all because of a horse,
1: right I mean all yeah be- exactly, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, and I mean Ed Swire's been very loyal, and he really enjoys it and uh he just bought a, a nice horse, although just arrived here with a bit of a funny-looking leg. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but he's done well. That's another guy who's done he very is? well. No, yeah, he's, for he's, you know,
1: and same thing picks his spots. Yeah, I mean he's loyal. He has a, a few of his own, Then he's got some. We've got the two or three mares that we own together, so we race the offspring together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's sort of fun to please people, and it's nice to be able to share a win with somebody rather I think you know, for sharing or she just come home and stare at the wall in the kitchen
0: yeah you gotta have a story to tell
1: that's <laughs> half the fun yeah I mean it's disappointing with papes and Storbridges, but you know life
0: goes on we had some great run
1: both both of them not gonna hold
0: any grudges that's for sure I yeah. be where I am today without them no and that's the way this game works I mean nobody's very few partnerships last forever that's for yes. sure in the game and it, everything changes Yeah. well perfect we will see you at the races and uh, thanks for your time and uh, oh, best welcome. of luck in 2019 all right, Joe. Thank you. Thanks. There you have it. Two hours of memory lane and then some with Hall of Fame trainer Jonathan Shepard. The interview could have lasted a week and not covered everything. Thanks again to Jonathan, Charlie Fenwick, the Temple Stevel Chase Foundation, our sponsor Brown Advisory, and sound engineer Adam Wolfe at Howling Wolf Studio in Baltimore for making this happen. You can hear more podcasts like this at thisishorseracing.com or by subscribing to This Is Horse Racing on your Apple Podcast app. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with more. From Tennessee to Maryland and Ascot to Cheltenham, Brown Advisory supports the hard work, dedication, and love for competition that defines the horse racing spirit. Brown Advisory has cheered from stables and fence lines since its founding in 1993 and is excited to share this passion through the sponsorship of this podcast and races across the U.S. and U.K. Visit brownadvisory.com to see how they can help you achieve your financial goals.